Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this week's episode of our podcast, the Joe Galati podcast. And what I've done a little bit different this week is, first of all, from a format standpoint, give you a little bit more of an introduction. Now, in the past, as as many of you know, I host a weekly radio program on iHeartRadio. It's called Your Health First, and it airs on Sunday evening. And for the most part, the podcast is several episodes of the radio program or the entire radio program in its entirety, which we edit a little bit, but we rebroadcast it as the podcast because really, In the health and wellness space, what people want to listen to is really the content of the radio program. And so that is what we've been doing. But a number of you have commented to me and would also like to hear a little bit of editorialization about what we're talking about and a little bit more on the personal side on a more expanded format. So that's what I am doing here. I'm giving you a little background and a little context as to what we're talking about today. Now, the, um, the, the main part of uh, this week's podcast is uh, about a 30-minute interview, about 25 minutes, I had with Ed Henry, the correspondent uh, that everybody knows from Fox News Channel. And back in July of uh, 2019, His sister, Colleen, needed a liver transplant, and Ed came forward and was the live liver donor for her. So he donated about 30, 35% of his liver. It went into his sister, and by all accounts, she is doing well. Ed has recovered very nicely. And I wanted to get uh, an update on his sister and how Ed was doing, and really the entire liver transplant journey or the, or the transplant journey. And there are some questions that I asked Ed to have him dig a little deeper into his uh, consciousness to share with everybody what was going through his mind, his family's mind, his sister's uh, feelings, and share them with you. And I, I believe it it really, really went very well. I'm very pleased with the interview. And so a few background points. As far as myself, I have been involved in transplant since 1988. And it, it 
first started when I took care of a young boy who was in liver failure when I was a resident at Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, one of the finest training hospitals uh, really in the world. And this young boy was in liver failure. He did not have long to live. And in 1988, there were not many liver transplant programs. And so I realized if this kid was going to have a chance at living, he needed a liver transplant. That's all there was to it. He was probably 15, 16 years old. Now, the the trick was the, the, the family did not have money. They were of Jamaican extraction. He was born here, but the mother was Jamaican. And they didn't have money, and they were part of the working poor in Brooklyn, New York City at the time. And so through a series of phone calls, now you have to remember, this was before cell phones, this was before the internet, I was able to find an angel pilot to fly this kid from Brooklyn. I had to take him to Teterboro Airport in New Jersey, put him on a four-seat Piper Cub, and me and the pilot, the mother and the patient, we flew to University of Pittsburgh. They were willing to accept him as a patient. But as they said on the phone, they said, Doc, all you need to do is get him here, and we will evaluate him for transplant and get him admitted. Uh, how that could have been done today is impossible, but I was able to do it. I was able to get a free flight. I collected money from my colleagues and the nurses and the staff in the ICU where he was at. I hailed a gypsy cab, which is, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar in New York City uh, vocabulary, a a gypsy cab is a non-registered, non-yellow taxi that would have been, at the time, the equivalent of sort of like Uber. You know, some guy charged $25 to take me to, to Jersey with this kid. So we disconnected him from all the ICU monitoring, which again, today, it would have never happened. And we put him in a taxi. We drive to Teterboro. There the pilot is waiting for us, and the four of us book it to Pittsburgh. We land at Pittsburgh. I had arranged an ambulance to pick us up. We drive to University of Pittsburgh. And he gets admitted, and me and the pilot about an hour and a half later, after a tuna fish sandwich in the in the gift shop, turn around and go home. It was a whirlwind of a day, but it was it changed my life. The boy was transplanted about five days later, and did well uh, did well initially, but unfortunately, within about four or five weeks, died from. CMV infection, cytomegalovirus infection. Now, back in 1988, we really did not have good antiviral therapy to treat CMV. And CMV uh, infection was the bane of uh, our existence with regard to transplant, where once you were immunosuppressed with the anti-rejection medicines, If you had CMV in your own blood or CMV from the donor liver, it would reactivate and basically take off like lightning. And uh, typically these 
patients would die of either CMV in the lungs or CMV in the brain, and uh, it was just a you know something you couldn't survive. So that was my initial experience with with liver transplantation. The other part of the story is that my sister Anne had Hodgkin's disease, and this is a story that many of you have heard in the past, and she needed a bone marrow transplant. Now, the type of bone marrow that she received at University of Nebraska, so from New York City, she went out to University of Nebraska for a bone marrow transplant. It was an autologous bone marrow transplant, meaning they would take her own bone marrow, treat it with all sorts of different therapies, and then basically re-infuse her own bone marrow into her, hoping that her fresh new bone marrow, sort of, would repopulate her bloodstream free of the Hodgkin's disease tumor that she had. Now, I went out to University of Nebraska to be her support and spent a little over eight weeks with her. And there, I was able to work with the liver transplant team at University of Nebraska, which was probably and still is one of the finest liver transplant programs in the world, and certainly one of the one of the finest training programs in the world. And I, uh, uh, after my flight to Pittsburgh, which was in the summer, and this was a little later in the year, I felt like uh, uh, I was an absolute expert in liver disease and liver transplantation, and the bug just bit me. And so for the remainder of my training, I realized without a doubt I wanted to go into liver disease and then, of course, liver transplantation. I ultimately finished my residency in New York City, and then I went out to University of Nebraska, where my sister had been, and did my fellowship in gastroenterology and liver disease and transplant hepatology. And here I am today, 25 years in the Texas Medical Center, heading up the liver transplant program at Houston Methodist Hospital. And uh, so talking about transplant is uh, a delight for me, trying to uh, share information about people understanding transplant. And the thing about when you talk about transplant, you do a transplant, be it heart, lung, kidney, or liver, because that particular organ has failed. Now, many times, the vast majority of the time, the these organs fail because of some sort of chronic disease, some sort of chronic inflammatory process. And certainly in liver disease, a lot of our cases are related to chronic hepatitis C, chronic hepatitis B. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is a leading cause of uh, liver disease and cirrhosis, uh, not only in the United States, but worldwide, and a host of autoimmune and genetic disorders. But, but the main thing for everybody to understand is that so many of these conditions are related to lifestyle choices, smoking, eating, obesity, hypertension, complications of diabetes. These are, these chronic diseases are the main driving forces that lead to end organ failure. Again, be it kidney, heart, lung, liver. You could throw in pancreas 
as well. And so the the motivation for me and and people on my team and people I work with and colleagues around the around the world are to educate everybody on what you need to do to not develop end-stage liver disease, kidney disease, heart disease, lung disease, and the perils of smoking, the perils of obesity, uncontrolled diabetes, hypertension, ignoring your weight, eating any old junk that you want to. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up with you. You're going to get end-organ failure, and you're going to be sitting across the table from a physician or surgeon saying, hey, Bob, it's time for a heart transplant. You don't want to go there. Despite all the great advances, we have to really work hard, double down on preventing end organ damage. But that's the discussion of another podcast. And so here we are. Now, a a quick note on Ed Henry. People say, how the heck did you hook up with Ed Henry? Well, we connected on Instagram. And uh, several months ago, I believe it was January or February of 2019, it was around the time that Ed was talking about the new book that he uh, had published. I think it's 42 Faith or Faith 42. It's a book about Jackie Robinson. And I am an absolute baseball lover. I love baseball. I love my New York Yankees, though I am a Fairweather Met fan, I would say. And uh, I would never particularly root against the Mets. Let's put it that way. I hope the Mets do well. But nonetheless, diehard Yankee fan. And if anybody has ever been to my office, one of my exam rooms is filled with Yankee and Yankee Stadium memorabilia, including two seats from the original Yankee Stadium. But I, uh, on Instagram, I had, uh, I guess, friended him or I followed him, and he posted a, a, a picture of him and some uh, professional retired baseball players, and he commented on it. He commented on whatever I commented about his picture, and then through instant message on uh, through uh, Instagram, I sent him a picture I had of myself from 1969 with uh, a picture that was taken with me with the New York Yankees. And in this particular pose, it was a pitcher, Steve Hamilton and Elston Howard, the uh, famed Yankee catcher. And I sent it to him with a little, a, little, uh, a little comment, and he again responded back to me saying he thought it was a pretty cool picture. And that was basically it. He must have looked at my profile to see, to have seen that I was a liver specialist and transplant, because most of the other pictures I posted had to do with, uh, with a transplant or something medical. And on the 4th of July at about 5 in the evening, Ed Henry sends me a text message asking for my cell phone. I am thinking that this is a spoof. How on earth or why on earth is Ed Henry from Fox News Channel reaching out to me? So in a rather uh, defensive way, I respond and, and, and basically say, hi, how can I help you out? And then he responds immediately saying, I think I have a story for you. And I'm like, okay, my wife is looking at this and she's equally befuddled by this. And I said, well, what's, what's the story about, Ed? And all he writes back is liver. And I said, okay, this is some elaborate ruse if it is, if it is a fake. 
So I said, uh, okay, here is my cell number. I said, but I am, uh, my 4th of July festivities are done. And if you want to call now, I'm uh, available to talk. And within a minute, he calls, identifies himself as Ed Henry. It definitely is his voice. And we talk, and he tells me the personal story about his sister and how she was going for a transplant. And in a few days, he was going to be the live liver donor. And he had asked that if I could come on Fox and & Friends and, uh, and talk about it, share with the audience what may be involved and uh, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, my wife and I flew up to New York to see family and took a little detour to Fox News Channel, Fox headquarters, and uh, the rest is history. I was on uh, uh, seven or eight minutes with him and his uh, co-hosts, and it was just an absolutely marvelous experience for everybody. And so with that said, I'm going to... Um, uh, get into the main body of the podcast. I have been chatting here for 17 minutes with all of you, and hopefully you've enjoyed this. So with that, I, I have a brief introduction by Kelly Purdue. She is the president and CEO of The Living Bank. They deal strictly with live organ donation, typically kidney, though with time we'll be expanding into live liver here in uh, Houston. And uh, then we get into the uh, Ed Henry interview. So if you've got any questions and uh, you want to get back in touch with me, certainly you can go to drjoegalati.com, send me an email, and I'd be happy to communicate with you. Thanks very much for uh, following along and listening, and uh, look forward to hearing from everybody. So Kelly, tell me, what is it that the Living Bank does and why we should know about it? The Living Bank, we focus on living organ donation, and that's because there are 112-plus individuals on the national transplant waiting list, and about 83% of those are waiting on a kidney, and about 12 to 13% are waiting on a liver. That's 95% of the waiting list that could potentially be treated through living organ donation, and why that's important is because we do have deceased organ donation, but that's not meeting the need. So, for example, last year, about 25% of those who needed a kidney received that transplant. And that's why we need to get that information out there so people know what their options are. You know, the, the main thrust of what you and your organization does, what, what we do at, at our transplant program here, and people like Ed Henry, who's going to be coming on in, in a, a few minutes, it is education and awareness and being comfortable about talking about transplant and organ donation. Tell me sort of where that fits in with your mission. Well, there have been studies where one in four people say they would be willing to donate only if they knew, but most people do not know. You only know if you're affected by that. And one thing that Ed has done with his donation is created a great deal of exposure to get that conversation going for people to find out, yes, I can donate and I can save someone's life today while I am alive and I can then also live a very healthy, happy life after that. And that's why if we can get that as common knowledge in households, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, it really is. So, Kelly, we're going we're gonna to cut this short a little bit tonight. Ed Henry is going to be coming up in a, a minute or so. But for everybody listening, 
livingbank.org. I want everybody to go there tonight. Kelly Perdue, we are going to get you back and give you more time on your health first. How about that? Thanks so much, Dr. Galati. Have a great evening. All right. Thank you. All righty. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Ed Henry, Fox News Channel, is up in a minute. He is on hold. We'll be right back. You're listening to Your Health First, and I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Stay tuned. Every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m., we are here raising your health IQ one listener at a time. I'm Dr. Joe Galati, and we appreciate your tuning in on this Sunday evening. And as I had said earlier, we are spending a little bit of time tonight talking about transplant. And for those that love to crunch numbers. In the United States, as we speak tonight, there are over 113,000 people awaiting for a transplant of some kind. And so far this year in 2019, there have been about 27,000 transplants performed with about 13,000 donors that have given up these organs to do the transplant. And a person on the line here tonight, Ed Henry with Fox News, everybody knows him, chief national correspondent, is um, certainly knows a lot about being a donor and transplant. Ed, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Dr. Galati, you've been so helpful to me and my family, and uh, I can now say I'm a statistic, I guess. Well, it is. I was I was going to start <laughs> off to say, when we look at the numbers, Ed, you have contributed to the donor number going up by one, and you've sure. contributed to your sister um, clicking one more transplant that we've done this year. Before yeah. before we get started, Ed, how are you? And of course, how's your sister Colleen? Yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, a couple months uh, out from transplant. Yeah, I feel great. I'll get to that in a minute. You're right to focus on Colleen because I think that is the focus. She was the recipient, and I wanted to help her. And I'm proud to report that I that I think I did. I think we did because it was a team effort of family, friends, uh, people like yourself who I didn't know before this experience who jumped in and helped, and then certainly. Uh, I have to credit the surgical team and and the entire medical team at Mount Sinai, New York, and I'm sure we can get to that uh, in more detail. But 30,000-foot view is that here we are just over a couple of months after the surgery in early July, um, and we're both healthy. And most importantly, Colleen has what the doctors are telling us is, quote-unquote, normal liver function, which is frankly something she didn't have before early July, which is why we needed to do the transplant. Uh, she's had some bumps and bruises, some some somewhat minor things that have set her back here and there. But big picture, she's doing wonderful. Talked to her uh, just yesterday. Uh, and, in fact, she I'll, I'll tell you, she had a cold. And uh-huh. I was kind of concerned when I first talked to her because she was coughing. And she had had a little bit of fluid on her lung recently, uh, which I say is a serious thing, but is relatively minor in the grand scheme of what she's been dealing with. Um, and so the doctors wanted to make sure that the cough didn't have anything to do with the, you know, something with their lung. And thankfully, the cough was basically just the common cold. Right. And I mentioned that because, you know, here I am, you know, a couple of months later, before the experience, I would have thought that if we were having this conversation, um, I might be saying, look, she's still in the hospital, it's touch and go, or, right. or she's out of the hospital. But, you know, 
um, this or that. But instead, the whole reason why she has a cold is actually sort of a positive thing in that her doctors encouraged her because she was doing so well to get out with her friends, don't just stay in the house. So she took a little weekend trip with some girlfriends. Awesome. Um, and it went great. And, then, you know, I got the pictures. We've shown them on Fox where she, she looked healthy and was enjoying her friends. But by going outside, being with people, with her immune system a little bit down, again, it was encouraged by the doctors. She ended up getting a cold, though, but she's fighting that cold successfully. And I, I, I mentioned that because, again, in the grand scheme of things, and you know, know this better than I, there could have been all kinds of complica- uh, complications for either or both of us. Right. Uh, and if the common cold is one of the things that you're dealing with, like the most important thing you're dealing with two months later, I- I'm feeling like uh, we've done pretty well. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 I, and I believe that the thing about transplant is in the vast majority of cases, once they are transplanted, they have the new organ, it's working. For the first time in many, many years, these patients are feeling better. And it's almost as if you don't realize how sick you were leading up to right. it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, and, you know, I've written a little bit about this on foxnews.com, so I'll give you the short version. People can certainly go uh, and check my Twitter page, at Ed Henry, uh, as well as Instagram, at Henry TV, because I've written a little bit about it, done some journaling. Um, and, and my sister didn't tell us for some time sort of how bad it had gotten. I think she knew it was getting worse, but um, it wasn't like a grand cover-up. It was right. more, you know, I mentioned this again, because I think people in your audience, when you talk about raising their health IQ, if you're if you're the patient, you know, I think transparency is important and people are entitled to their privacy. Right. But I think as much as you can tell your friends and family about how things are deteriorating, if we had gotten to my sister a little sooner, I think maybe we could have dealt with this sooner, of course. But thankfully, we, we dealt with it, and, and things are good. Uh, but then I think also, as a family member or the friend, again, there's a zone of privacy around the patient. But sometimes you've got to, as I tried to do, ask a few more questions when they tell you, you know, oh, I'm doing okay, and you kind of are noticing things that suggest they're not. Um, that happened here. So you're right. I think my sister is now realizing a lot as well, even herself, wow, you know, I was sicker than I thought. And, you know, now um, she's just elated, frankly. You know, every Tuesday morning, because the surgery was on a Tuesday, right? Uh, I, without fail, I get a text from her saying, happy anniversary, because it's now, oh. Tuesday is now our anniversary. It's, I think, over nine weeks now. Um, and, you know, she's full, full of uh, gratitude, and so am I, because it's not just about uh, her being grateful for me. I'm grateful for her and uh, frankly, uh, she did so much more than I did because she's been fighting uh, liver disease for a long time. Yeah. You know, one one question, and, you know, here you are, and, and as well as your sister, you're thrusted into not so much the, the public story, but the personal story where all of a sudden now you're talking about liver disease and being a, a, a transplant a patient and a donor. But before yeah. all this, if you look back, say, five years or longer— how did you look at your own health, the health of your family, your parents, your wife, your kids? Was, yeah. you know, were you, um, and, and, and again, not that not you were didn't care, but were you a little relaxed in how you looked at everyday health? And not that you didn't yeah. take it for granted, but it's, it's different now. Right, yeah. You're right that... Um you know, to be nuanced about it, I don't think I took it for granted. I knew my, my health, everyone's health is serious. But certainly, like many people, you know, until there's a crisis or something near a crisis, 
sometimes you do take it a little for granted, and then it's sort of a wake-up call. Um, I think, you know, um, in terms of the liver specifically, while I was not battling the liver disease my sister was, and still is, I suppose, in some ways, um, I had to get my liver in tip-top shape in order to donate. And so I think, to answer your question, that's where it opened my eyes the most. Uh, I was aware that I wanted to lose a few pounds. I was aware that while I was not a heavy drinker, um, you know, maybe I should cut back a little bit. And Uh and it was sort of tied in, by the way. I mean, it's not just about liver health. Um, I think there's just so many empty calories in alcohol. Oh, for sure. Whether beer, wine, whatever. Um, You know, sure. I mean, I think a lot of people, I chuckle because... Uh, you know, there was that study in France, right, years ago. Oh, yeah. the red wine is great for you. You know, and, and if you read the fine print, I don't have it in front of me, but I assume it was a glass, maybe two glasses. <laughs> right. You know, some people go to dinner. This wasn't me, but but I've been at dinners where people, you know, they pretty much have their own bottle of wine. Yes. And then there's a bottle of wine for everyone else. I mean, I, you know, I think with food, uh, like alcohol, it's moderation. And we hear that from doctors like you. Yeah. And we don't always, always heed it. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Uh, I had to lose about 10 to 15 pounds uh, in order to do the surgery to make sure that my body and my liver in particular was in tip-top shape. I did that. Uh, in the end, um, because of this, you know, the pregame warm-up to that, sure. the surgery itself, the liquid diet that I had a, for a little bit, uh, I lost all told about 20 pounds as a total. Uh, and then, the, you know, my medical team said, look, you know, you're on a liquid diet now. You're you're not going to be on a liquid diet forever. We know you're going to put a few back. So I'm trying to stay in the zone of where I've lost 15, and that's where I'm at now. They said you're probably not going to keep all 20. If you want to, great. But, you know, we think if you keep the 15 off, it's going to mean a lot for your health. I feel that way now. Honestly, I feel like I've never been as healthy uh, as I am right now uh, because I've, I've given up alcohol. Um, I'm supposed to do that for, as you know, six months right. after the surgery. I've already burned off a couple of months. Certainly at the end of the year, I'm looking forward to having at least one cocktail. But I do think, you know, again, to answer your question, I'm going to be looking at alcohol and food differently into 2020. Uh, and while I'll likely start drinking again after the six-month grace period, uh, I expect, not just assume, that I will be drinking less than I did before because I feel so healthy now. I don't want to jeopardize that and you know doctors have said look your, your liver's already regenerated we can get into that right um but you know why add a lot of toxins to it in, in the form of alcohol and so bottom line is i think you know so much has been said and written about how i helped my sister's health and i appreciate that but honestly i think the untold story is that my sister helped my health exactly you probably heard that from other donors in order to prepare for the surgery um, you end up cleaning up your own life a little bit, and uh, I feel healthier now because of my sister. Yeah, and you know, you look at everybody wants to feel a little better, and you know, you were, you know, you're a you're a busy guy. You're traveling and yeah. and all sorts of pressure. And if somebody a year ago stopped you on the street and said, "Ed, do you feel okay?" You'd probably say, "I feel fine." But these minor sure. little things of you know reducing alcohol by fifty percent or losing five ten percent of your body weight. It, it goes a long way, which is, which is yeah, a great message. Yeah, can I tell you a quick story, which is um, that shortly after the surgery, I was feeling great, and I was uh, a couple colleagues from Fox wanted to meet up with me. And I'll leave the names out to protect the innocent. Yeah, but, of course. Um, three of us had lunch, and, and one of them said, oh, what are you going to have? And we were at this Italian restaurant that I like in New York. And, uh, and he said, oh, man, I got chicken parm. I love chicken parm. 
And so I said, well, I've been here before, and the chicken parm was really big. I said, well, why don't we get this salad over here, and then you know, we'll split it, and then and then we'll split the chicken parm. And I could tell that he was sort of like, I kind of want to have the chicken parm on my own. Yeah. And then, you know, long story short, it, it came and went, and we had a wonderful lunch. And afterwards, he said, is that the kind of thing you're doing now? And I said, yeah. He said, because I would have normally gotten the whole chicken parm. Yeah, exactly. But this diet has sort of opened your eyes, and... So we split it, and he said, I feel great. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I had a great meal, and yet I don't feel, like, stuffed. And so it's one small example. I'm not holding myself up as, uh, you know, the next Dr. Oz. Right. But this guy was saying to me, wow, you know, if you make those little changes, and that's why I think people in your audience, I'm here to tell you you can do it, because I did. It wasn't because I did some radical, you know, starve myself for not at all. six months. It was actually pretty hard because I was trying to do it the right way, not with the crash diet, since I was working with Mount Sinai, and not just doctors, but a nutritionist um, there. Uh, a, I had to do it the right way on the way in. And then B, as I mentioned, you know, I'm thankful that so far I've, I've kept that 15 pounds off. And, you know, everybody's tempted. And, and now, uh, you know, occasionally I'll break my own advice and have a bigger portion. But by and large, I've been trying to keep the portions down. And like I say, I think I'll expect to do that with alcohol down the road, too, because I think moderation is the key. Oh, it absolutely is. Now, when, when you were going through the process, talking with your sister and getting involved with Mount Sinai and the doctors there, the evaluation, did, did anybody, you know, be it your, your, you know, your best friend, a colleague, anybody in your family, did they pull you on the side and say, Ed, wait a second, what, you know, you're putting yourself at risk a lot yeah. at stake. We understand the whole part of helping your sister, but think this over. Did anybody ever come around to that, or was yeah? Was, yeah. Think, Tell me about I, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll protect uh, you know the name thing. I'll protect the innocent. Uh, yeah, keep the name. But yeah, there were some friends who said, "Look, I know you love your sister," and some of these friends knew her and said, "You know, God, you know, I certainly hope you can help her." But are you sure there's not another way? Is right. There, and I said, look, she's already on the donor list. And I said, you know, it's very admirable, but but why are you putting yourself at risk? And I don't want to overstate it because, you know, as, as I've talked about honestly and transparently, um, the doctors told me that the risk of mortality for the donor uh, in the case of a liver, and I can't, and you could speak to kidney and other things, but the liver uh, is less than 1% mortality right. rate for the donor. And so, look, on one hand, um, I went into it saying, look, I could walk out of the studios at Fox and get hit, hit by a bus. The Absolutely. Old, uh, line that people say, and, and, you know, if your time is up, your time is up. And so I can't walk around thinking, boy, because I wanted it to be perfect, uh, you know, odds, I didn't help my sister. I couldn't live with myself that way. On the flip side of it, I'll, I'll be honest that in some of my early conversations, as I was trying to assess those odds, I heard less than 1%. And, and that's great, but, but I pressed the doctors and said, that's great, but why is it not zero? You know, right. what, what are the, the challenges here? Because we all have to be aware, you know, it, it's not 0% mortality rate. There are, there are people who die from this surgery. Uh, the biggest thing I heard is, you know, in surgery, as you know, uh, better than all of us, uh, you know, it's a major surgery. They open sure. you up. Any number of things can go wrong. You can get an infection. You know, again, I didn't go into it fatalistically or, or pessimistically. But I had to go in with eyes wide open. A absolutely. And, you know, I'll tell you real quick. I had one friend who, when I told him shortly before I announced it publicly, I said, this is kind of a prominent person. And I said, hey, um, I just want you to read this in the paper in a couple of days. I just want you to not be surprised. Um, I I'm going to do this. I'm going to donate my liver and to my sister. And he said, what? What are you talking about? Are you yeah. crazy? 
He said, you, got, you can't live without your liver. And let me rephrase that. Um, a part of my liver. 30%. <laughs> yeah, and then it's going to regenerate, and that'll lead us maybe to the next thing. He, like many people, didn't know that the liver regenerates, number one. And number two, again, I don't think this person, in fact, I know this person did not dislike my sister or say don't help her. Right. But at first he thought, it's noble. It's great. I hope she's okay. But but why would you jeopardize yourself? And as I talked to other people about this, um, other uh, donors before I went in, I interviewed them as a journalist almost, but as a as a patient this time. Yeah. To say hey, what are the, what are the risks? And one of them at one point said that that, that a doctor told him that this is the only time um, that doctors uh, that, that he knows of that doctors violate the Hippocratic oath knowingly where do no harm, because they're opening you up and could potentially do harm to you right. in order to help someone else. Now, of course, you and other doctors are not trying to harm anyone, don't get me wrong, right. but you're putting you know, the donor in some level of risk in order to help someone else. Yeah, and, and that's I think... something that, that I was honest, they were honest with me, and I knew it going in, and I was fine with that. Yeah, I, I would, you're right. I would look at this as a calculated risk to say... Yeah. Um, it's not 40%. It's not likely you're going to be paralyzed, uh, but it's an acceptable risk considering the upshot of it where your sister is going to basically right. reset the counter and get a, get a completely new life. Now, the one thing yeah. you, were, you were saying, and I found that uh, you know this whole business about the liver regenerating, and it's almost... Yeah. When you read about it and you see the people on TV talking about it, it is like this is the most amazing trick the human body yeah. could do. And and people, no matter how many times I've heard it, they'll look at you and they're like, "Did you know the liver can regenerate and grow back?" I, I mean, yeah. tell me. I mean, you you. I mean, you know, you're sitting there hoping it it does, of course. But it's a um, it's an amazing feat of nature. That's all I could really yeah. say. It's a magical organ. I mean, there's no other way to say it, um, because I'm not aware of another organ in your body that regenerates. You not know, at all. Of a kidney, Except for your skin, kidney. but who cares about the yeah, skin? Yeah, it's yeah. the liver's where it's at. <laughs> and, you know, kidney, you can donate one of two if you've got two healthy ones, but you can't, you know, split it and have it you know, regrow back. or something. Right. Um, so um, I was surprised by this, too. I didn't really know this until I started digging around, because I had to, to kind of research it and figure it out. Um, and I've been surprised, you know, by the number of people who are learned, you know, people of the world. In, in, you know, in my profession, I come across whether it's uh, politicians, attorneys, um, all kinds of oh, sure. people who had no idea that the liver regenerates and they're completely blown away. Here's the next thing. Then they say, well, how long? You know, three months, six months, four to six weeks. Right. What? I mean, that's the second magical part. And then maybe the third part that I've only learned recently is, you alluded a moment ago that I donated 30%. You have two lobes. That wasn't my choice. It was, you know, you could, it could be 50-50. It could be 60-40. Right. In my case, one, one lobe is 70%, one, one lobe is 30 The doctors wanted to, me to donate 30 for a couple reasons. One is um, I have a faster recovery if I start from 70%. If I started with 30, as you know, uh, I'd probably be limping around a little bit more because it'd be a longer recovery. Sure. But but the other part of this that people don't know, and, and I didn't know, and I've learned, so the 30% that I donated to my sister, it, it grows in hers, we're saying. But the other thing is that I've only sort of recently, as we've dug into this and lived it, 
uh, I, I thought the 30% would become, quote-unquote, 100%, you know, grow back to what my original liver was. Uh-huh. Well, I kind of heard it, and you can elaborate on this, that the body is even smarter than what you just mentioned, because what happens is the 30% that I donated to her starts growing to being maybe 40% or 50 or 60 of what it once was. And at some point, her body, since Colleen is smaller than me and she's a woman, different anatomy, uh, of course, um, all of a sudden the human body says, nope, we're good, you don't need to grow anymore. And yeah. essentially, it doesn't grow all the way back to what my original liver was, because her body says, I don't need it. So that's even more incredible. Yeah, I mean, it is It is both hormonal and the biochemistry and nerves and, uh, yeah. you know, nutrients from, from your gut that stimulate the liver to grow. And it's it's almost as if it's got a mind of its own as far <laughs> as is saying, okay, in this recipient, we're going to grow this much and somebody else a little bigger, a little smaller. It And once again, I think if anything comes out of all this, it is a certain... Um, you know, respect and appreciation for the body to try to take better care of it. Like you said earlier, um, you know, you're not going cold turkey with eating or you're never going to have chicken parm again, but you're just a little bit more mindful of of taking care of this body. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to mention, you know, you mentioned about, you know, donations and raising awareness that, um, you know, when we spoke before the interview, you, you were saying one thing you want to get into, what surprised you about this? Well, I think certainly some specifics about the liver as I learned more. But also, I learned that by going public, um, it was going to have a magical effect that's twofold, at least. One was, boy, we created a, a prayer army. Uh, I had people coming up to me just today uh, at an airport saying, you know, we were praying for you. Uh, and I've heard that all around the country, and I felt that, more importantly. Uh, and so the support that going public on Fox and on social media, uh, and you've helped with that by coming on Fox with me to explain it to our viewers. And uh-huh. On social media, you've been talking about it, and I'm grateful for that and doing this interview as well. But then I, I think as well, um, some groups have come to me, you know, whether it's the Living Bank in Houston that you, you're aware of. Sure. Um, they focus on live uh, donations. Anybody wants to contact them, I'd encourage it. Um, I've been stunned by the sheer number of people who are still contacting me on Facebook and other platforms. Hey, you know, um, my husband needed to deliver, got it 20 years ago from our son. He's still alive. Or, you know, I've had some cases of people sadly telling me, look, um, you know, I was crying with you on Fox News when you talked about it because, you know, my spouse, my child had this donation. And, you know, they're not still here, but they got another 15 years and, you know, we value that time so much. And it really brings it home to you because, you know, I didn't want to see my, my sister's demise. I wanted to see her, as her surgeon has now said, he, her surgeon at, at Mount Sinai has said, look, uh, he's likely to die of something else down the road like the rest of us, right. not because of liver disease. So that's what we wanted. I mean, I can't prevent any number of things from happening, like like we said at the top of this interview. When your time's up, your time's up, and and, and uh, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not controlling that. You're not either. Uh, but we, uh, you know, put her in a position now where, you know, maybe a new lease on life is is too much. But she's got a whole new perspective, as do I, and I think she has a whole new opportunity now exactly. uh, to live a long, fruitful life. And, and we're we're grateful of that. And and just the sheer number of people, uh, the Living Bank who I mentioned, you know, LivingDonor.org is somewhere you can go. 
Um, I've had a lot, a lot of people contact me and say, uh, you know, my husband needs a kidney. We were very scared about talking about this with friends. Then we saw you on Fox, and uh, now, you know, my husband's gone to the doctor to talk about it more because, you know, there's a lot of people out there saying, I don't want to burden my my children or my siblings with donating a kidney. And and, um, I had a security guard at at Fox come up to me a couple days ago and hug me. And this gentleman who, you know, I see in the hallway but didn't know well, he really opened up because I opened up, and what he told me was that, as a, as a child, uh, his father had kidney problems mm. um, and died early. You know that he had a good childhood, but that his dad died in his fifties, as an early fifties, wow. which is very sad. Because he told the mom they they had three or four kids who were still alive, and said, "I don't want to put any of them through this." Right. That's what my sister. I mentioned that because my sister was told by her doctors a couple of years ago, "You should talk to your brother." And one of the reasons that I alluded to before of it just being delayed was that she refused. And I right, think that was right. very noble of her because she said, I, he's got his own life, he's got his own family, he's got a career. I don't want to burden him. It was no burden in the end. I was glad to help. But this gentleman at Fox told me that, you know, sadly his father, um, you know, hasn't seen his grandchildren and all that because he, he was reluctant to reach out to family members. So, again, I can't tell people what to do, and I'm certainly not telling you. But I think if you reach out to the Living Bank, if you go to livingdonor.org, um, there's a lot of people who can become donors, and I'm here a living testament to the idea that don't be scared of the risks. Be, be, you know, educate yourself about the risks. Don't go into it blind. Um, but also on the recipient end, like my sister, um, don't be scared to talk to medical professionals. Don't be scared to talk to friends and family about the possibilities because I know it's not easy, but there are a lot of resources out there, and, and we're living testament, our family, uh, of, of making it through this. Absolutely. Ed, in the last 30 seconds, with all that you and your sister have been through, is there one word that sums this all up? Gratitude. Uh, my Gratitude. sister texts me now. The surgery was on a Tuesday, every Tuesday, for nine weeks now. She texts me, happy anniversary. And the first time she did it, I said, happy anniversary. She said, it, it, you know, Tuesday's our day. It was July 9th. So maybe July 9, 2020 will be our one-year anniversary. It certainly will, and we'll celebrate um, and take a trip is what we're thinking uh, because she's got a, a new lease on life, as I said. Uh, but gratitude, because every Tuesday now she texts me and says, I'm so grateful for you. I love you, my brother, and uh, I'm grateful for her. It's not a one-way street. And so I think we're just grateful as a family. Uh, my wife, my kids, everybody pulled together despite the risks and, and came together to save Colleen, and, and I'm proud to report she's doing well. And I'm, I'm grateful uh, that you and so many other people rushed to her. Well, Ed, uh, it's it's an honor to be a little part of this story. You are a great brother, an awesome friend to so many so many new people that you've touched. And, and sure. I think that is um, a message that we can do acts like this and touch more people than you could actually get your arms around. It really is pretty amazing. So, Ed... You have a great, let's see, today's uh, the weekend. Have a great weekend. We're going to be looking forward to everybody back seeing you on Fox on a regular basis. Yeah, continue on the weekend, check it out, and uh, we're looking forward to having you back to talk about it, maybe on the one-year anniversary, but I'm glad you're doing the show, and uh, I think you're spreading a great message to your audience, so thanks for having me on. All right, give, your, give our best to your sister, and uh, we're oh, here yeah. anytime we could help you out. All right, there you go. Ed Henry on Your Health First. Great story, great family. 
And my hope is that by listening to this story, you can be inspired to go help somebody in one way or another and realize that the power that we all have to get a job done, to help one another, is immeasurable. And again, thanks, Ed Henry, and all the great work that he's done to alert so many people about organ donation and transplant. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.